You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. This is the 3CR Garden Show and I'm Virginia Haywood. I've got two guests this morning. Craig from Gentiana. And Penny. (laughs) And you all know where I'm from. Penny Woodward from, in fact, many places. (laughs) And it does look like we've come down in slightly better weather. We've we've all travelled quite a distance because that's how it goes with the radio show. And it's... Quite lovely out there. It, it is. And uh, the thing I love about this time of year, if you have to get up early, is the stars. Yeah. You, know, you just you get them with a, with almost no moon. The stars were just so beautiful. Yes. Um, so, yes. And the great advantage of living out. Mm. The stars are so yes, much you stronger. you can see them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's been lovely not having the wind. Yes. Most of the time. Yes. We yeah, did have one day, one day of wind. But, you yeah. know, it's been amazing. The really, really yeah. still days that we're getting... And lots of rain. <laughs> yeah, we actually haven't had that much down uh, on the coast, but okay. um, yeah, it, it, there's been enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't need more. Mm. Happy, to, happy with what we've got. Yeah, we've had lots of rain. Mm. Yeah, and the thing with the stars, you know, I went to a, a magical Aboriginal exhibition at Melbourne University. Okay, and they were saying um, that the emu, which is so mm. powerful in a lot of Aboriginal mythology. The emu is actually a lack of stars. It's a specific point in the sky. Mm, where that is the shape of an emu. That is the yeah. shape of the emu and how incredibly important it is mm. to how many different Aboriginal mm. nations. And they think that with the satellites, you know, they want to put up thousands of satellites. They think with the satellites it's going to disappear. Oh, right. Okay. The yeah. things we don't think of. Yes. Yeah. Well, somebody is, probably has and decided it's not important. But, well, um, quite, yes. Yeah. yes. The things we don't value. Is that the exhibition that's on at the Potter Gallery? No, it's no? on Melbourne University at okay. the, and it's the old quad, okay. which is in the what I used to know mm. as the law. I mean, I haven't been to Melbourne University <laughs> since the early 70s. It was in, But it's right yeah. in the middle in the old, okay. old quad and it's fabulous. It's okay. really worth going to. Okay. And that... And, and what they've done, if they've got these posters, what they've done is they've named a lot of our common plants like yam daisy oh, and okay. banksia and they've, give, they've done posters and given them Aboriginal names. So the Boonarong names? Well, it's a little bit of a mix, I think. Okay. But, um, yes. And I, I grabbed I, – Craig is growing yam daisy, so I mm. grabbed one for him to put in his office of the, okay. of the, um, of the Murnong. Fantastic. Yeah. The yam daisies, yeah. and, which I thought was really, really... I mean, we do say Murnong for yam mm. daisies, but we don't use... Um, the, the First Nations name. For yeah. any of the others. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is quite mm. noticeable. Mm. So, I th- it's yes, it's... And there is another one I heard it advertised on the radio. I think it was at the Potter. 
Yeah. Which sounded fabulous. Yes, it's on my list. Yes. But that goes till January. So I'm, I'm well, this one is on for a while, so you okay. should be able to make it. And you'll love it because it does actually talk about plants as well. Great. So, okay. so definitely yeah. see if you can get there. And for those listening, it's at Melbourne University. I think it's free. I think it's open every day. And it's in the old quad. And it's. I think it's called... It's, I've written it down somewhere. When I find it, I'll give you the proper name. Yes. The Murdoch are going well. They've been self-seeding. So. Well, given I managed well to kill all mine. Yeah. I, I had Murnong going for three or four years. They did really well, and then they got swamped by weeds. They don't like a, a competition. Difficult time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what happened with me was I, I had the um, opium poppies coming up in my mm. garden, just you know, nothing to do with yeah. me. They just come up. Well, last year, the only place they came up was in the bed that I put the Murnong. Mm. Yeah. Because they weren't anywhere else, I thought, oh, I'd better let them go or I won't get the seed. Mm. They'd swamp them very and they, quickly. And they swamped them and they killed yeah. the Murnong. Mm. So I'm hoping that Craig's going to have enough to give me some. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> plenty. <laughs> because they came via me. They came mm. to me from somebody who was growing them on mm. for um, for the First Nations people in Hillsville. Yeah, Okay. And he had too many, so he mm. gave me a whole lot and said, mm. do you want these? And I said, oh, would you like a few Murnong, he said, and arrived with about 50. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave half of them to Craig yeah. and killed half of yeah. them. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're a success. They like wood ash. Yeah. So that's interesting. So they yeah. like a little bit of alkalinity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've gave them plenty of wood ash. Which is logical if you think that, you know, with burning practices of the First Nation people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, well, I'm, I'm quite. And it'll be interesting to. When are you going to have a look and see whether you can actually use. Oh, I think you'd need quite a lot. Yes. I'll let you the will. numbers build up. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've decided to de- dedicate one of my um, vegetable beds. I'm giving up on vegetables, okay. Penny. I just. Me and the yep. rats. Okay. We've got. Such a close, I shall not say close, mm. as in friendly, mm. but we have a close relationship. They've been a real problem this year, haven't they? Well, I suppose it's the usual story. When there's water, mm. there's food. When it's a good year, mm. there's lots of food and yeah. they breed up. And, yep. and they've, they've, I mean, something, I don't know if it is the rats, but I've got a huge chilli bush. Mm. It's huge. It's um, about four foot high mm. and same wide. Mm. And it lives right through the winter. Mm. And I left for overseas. Yep. And it was it had um, quite a few yeah, chilies on it. Is it a rocoto cherry? The chili, the long chilies, or no, round no, like like little capsicums? It's quite round, and okay. it comes from the high Andes, which is why okay. it manages to get through the winter. At yeah, because I've, I've got one at mine, but that. That's a ricotto, what they call a ricotto chili. So it's a perennial. Yes, well, this yeah. is. Well, the, are, they, are they not all mostly perennial? But not fact- not necessarily. I mean, right. some of some of them are are annuals, right. by, you know, botanically, and others are perennials, but grown as annuals in colder climates. Yes. So, but, but this one is specifically a perennial. Oh, well, I yeah. might try and grow that as well. So, so the rats have been eating that. Well, something has, and it, you know how. Yeah. I mean, my vegetable They've garden. They've never touched it in my garden. Something, no, but well, and anything to get in my garden. Are they got, red? They're black at the moment. Okay, because mm, they're all parrots. No, they can't get in. Okay, it's it's actually in the vegetable garden, which is completely netted. enclosed. It's yeah. netted. I've got, um, mm. I've got rocks and I've got um, mm. tin and I mean, you, it's so hard to get into. <laughs> 
but they still get in. The, the very small birds can get in. Yeah. But that's all. Okay. So, you know. Well, you'll have to start growing ornamentals, Virginia. <laughs> One has to grow. Oh, they've you never have to eat, grow some food for They've yourself. never eaten lettuce before. Okay. They've never eaten mm. lettuce. I look through the magazine. We're getting stories from people all over Australia who are struggling with with rats in particular. Yeah. Um, and um, I, look, the BirdLife Australia has come out with recommendations for for what you can use and what you really, really shouldn't use. So you shouldn't use any of the second generation um, rodenticides. Mm because they can last in the body of a rat for up to three or four months. Right. So anything that eats that carcass, yeah. which could be a bird of prey, it could be a lizard, it yeah. could be a betong or a fascagale or you know a whole range of important yeah. small animals and birds. So um, can you we'll, explain we'll what die. the second generation... Se- second generation has, it has a range of um, rat-killing chemicals in it yeah. that are really long-lasting, whereas first generation were basically warfarin. Mm-hmm. So what they're asking you to do is if you have to use baits, mm. use the first-generation baits so, so when because you go they to, don't last in the brat's body. When you go to buy them, what do you look for in the look store? Look for warfarin. Warfarin. Just re- read the ingredients, and yeah. if it says it's got warfarin, um, then that's what you should go for. But go on to the BirdLife um, website because they have a whole list of alternative things that you can do Mm -hmm. to rats, ranging from traps to the safer baits, um, and they have a list of all the ones that you shouldn't use by brand name. So that makes it really, really clear. Yeah, that's good information. So what's the website? It's BirdLife Australia. So if you just put BirdLife Australia in there. I think that is so important because I used to have... A lot of, um, well, not a lot, but I had tawny owls and things like that around. And I never see them now. And all my neighbours have got chooks, so all my neighbours bring rats. Yeah. And I had a go at one of my neighbours the other day about using rat poison. Oh, well, I have to. They're in the house. I said, you don't have to. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you don't have to. We've got a lot of, we have a lot of hunting birds of various sorts, of course. Yeah. So it's really important not to kill them. I lost all my tomatoes this year. Mm. And it was rats that mm. were doing it. And I, I did, in the end, really carefully poison with warfarin baits. So Ratsack is a warfarin-based bait, if you buy the right one. Um, and it, it that stopped. I actually got a crop of tomatoes right at the end of the season. Oh, how nice. <laughs> yeah. how nice. You know, so... It, well, it, the other thing I want to do is kill some rats, because yeah. I've got plenty, and just check that they're not native because that's the other thing yes. one has to do. Yeah. And they're definitely not black. They're a, yes. they're a nice... They look quite nice. Mm. They're a nice brown, mm. so I actually mm. have to get close enough to them to... To tell. Yeah. To check what they are. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, they're a constant issue around my chooks, but I think the main thing is not to leave food lying around. Mm. Yeah, and there's some there's some really good um, chook feeders that the chooks, by treading on them, will open them, mm-hmm. and then they close when mm. the chooks aren't feeding on them. Mm. And the rats can't get to them. So, you know, there's ways that you can... Well, I did have somebody who came and trapped mine and then Mm. drowned them. Yeah. And used them for his snakes. Okay. And that was fantastic. Okay. But he then got rid of his snakes. Oh, okay. I I just have to... Yeah, look, and there are traps. There are, you know, there are spring traps that that 
work. Uh, work. Mm. So, you know, just you need to just try everything, but don't use these second-generation baits. I won't. Well, I, I, re- I won't use any bait, but yeah. with your information, I will try the safer yeah. baits. And, what, and I've just got to man up. I can't face trapping them and killing them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I, uh, I used to be a veterinary nurse. Yes, I know. I mean, really, I've yeah. got so pathetic as mm. I've aged. Mm. <laughs> there are there are traps you can get that will kill them. Yeah, and and people talk about the New Zealand ones, but say they're not. Everybody I know who's actually tried to use them said they're not as effective. New Zealand traps. Yeah, yeah that that, okay. that are meant to be kind. Okay, mm, they're uh, yeah. certainly effective. They've they've got to be quick. I mean, that's yes. the that's the whole point um, mm. if you're trying to be kind i don't feel um terribly kind towards rats so <laughs> I, I just i don't want any animal to suffer but i also want to be able to grow my veggies so yes. i'm prepared to compromise but um the other thing that BirdLife australia is trying to get us to do is to ask the big box stores and any hardware shops and supermarkets to take the second generation ones off, baits off, off their shelves. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because they're just doing so much damage. And we should yeah. be. We and should there's all... a petition there to sign as well. Fabulous, because yeah. we've got to be going at the government as well, because this yeah. is pathetic. I mean, yeah. we can't stop them logging, but surely we can stop them poisoning owls. Yes. Yeah. 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 Particularly but, if there's an alternative. Yeah. But it, look, it's really tough for farmers. So I do understand that side of it when the rats and mice take over and destroy crops and all that sort of thing. But then, again, there's plenty of things that we would quite yep. like to use in our garden, which we can't, can't yes. but farmers yes. can. Yes. I mean, there's no reason yes. that the first generation, that generation yeah. isn't restricted yes. to people who actually have property or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's mm. true. Mm. It's yeah. just unnecessary. Mm. And, you know, given that we have killed more species than any other continent in the world. I think mm. that's an incredible, incredible. achievement. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of unsurprising, pre- isn't it? Well, I don't know. When you think of the colonisation of Africa, you, I, you know, you would have thought maybe more had died there, but we've managed to do more. I, I think part of it, though, I have to say, is the uniqueness of our species that's that right. are not found anywhere else. So, yeah. you know, in Africa, quite a lot of the species that are there, although they're, quite a few of them are unique, they're unique to the whole continent, not just to individual countries. So if you're looking at individual countries... But usually when they're talking about this, they talk about... Continents. The, about the okay. continent. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I've noticed so that. fragile. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes, the worst thing that happened was mm. us. Yeah. Mm. Well, off... And cats. And, well, <laughs> yes, the worst thing that happened was us bringing cats. Yeah. And, yeah. and foxes yeah. and yeah. pigs and, mm. you know... Yeah, the whole range of them, but yes. Yes, well, let's go back to plants. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I've been obsessing about crevice gardens all week. So all my screen time has been taken up on YouTube looking at crevice gardens and how they're built and now, what it, you can grow in them. And For people who haven't been up to Craig's nursery, he's got a big, I suppose you'd call it rockery, with several ponds in it and it's actually quite and it's at the moment so beautiful because it's full of 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 galanthus snowflakes snow drops it's absolutely Mm. beautiful but he's talking about the crevice garden is a a different form of rock gardening it's where you use um, sedimentary rock quite narrow slithers of it not necessarily small but you know not wide and you stack them on their side against each other with, you so, know, perhaps... So Craig's holding his hands about 10 centimetres Yeah, they're about, so narrow For the width? Yeah, yes. and, 
this is the space between each rock should be no more than an inch. So they're really jammed in and they're placed on a bed of sand and it's to emulate stratified rock. So you, you okay. would have seen it on the coast or in the mountains mm -hmm. where you have these lines of rock mm -hmm. running up the hillside. And you notice that when you're flying out of Australia, there's somewhere, uh, you've been flying for quite a while, so you're over Western Australia and there's somewhere where you've got these huge stratified rocks. That's right. Yeah. Absolute. I've often thought, okay. oh, I want to go down like near there. The, near the bungles, bungle bungles and that sort of area? And, yes, yeah. I thought because you notice it when you go to Indonesia. Mm. Yeah. yeah, okay. But there's, a, I mean, people have been creating crevices for a very long time in their rock gardens, but the Czechoslovakians mm. have taken it to a high art form. Uh, it's, it's a country with a, a great gardening history. Czechoslovakia, very keen gardeners, and so they've developed this crevice garden style, which enables you to grow plants that require. Phenomenal drainage. Yes. Yeah. So the, the whole thing is built on sand. Right. You put a mound of sand down first and then it's it's mulched with gravel and you can grow draba and deoncia and raulia and all sorts of things which would normally be impossible. And I sort of think of the applications for dry climate gardens for growing some of the succulents, really small succulents mm. that are difficult. And I was also thinking about tropical gardens and tiny little epiphytic orchids and things mm. like that that like growing in cliff faces, all sorts of applications. Well, there are wonderful things in cliff faces and some, some of the things that we, you know, like we talk about protecting in plant trust are things that are growing sort of, you know, um, in the Canary Islands and, and Madeira, absolutely on the cliff face and they're nowhere else to be found. Yeah. Certainly in the United States, a lot of the botanic gardens are now building them and and okay. through Europe. And, and it's, it's sort of evolving. There's, some people are starting to do a modern style where they're using um, recycled concrete right? Okay. for their crevice gardens. Mm. And I saw one where he'd built these big um, spheres, I suppose you'd call them, out of stone with crevices in between each one and planted it up with alpine plants. And was it lovely? Oh, extraordinary, yeah. Okay, so so have you been to the Burren in Ireland? No. Okay, did you... Did you I wasn't there this time, but I've but been, been to been the Burren. Yes, because it's fabulous. That, that's the same sort of... They're not specifically crevices, but it, it's huge limestone... Um, it, um, I can't think of the word to describe them, but... but very flat and then there's all these plants that are, are growing in between and because it's limestone and the water filters through so quickly yeah, it's yeah. The, pretty much the same I would think as crevices but m magnificent wildflowers yeah and and being the west coast of Ireland where I have been I was on the west coast of Ireland mm. for midsummer the solstice yeah. yep. in a jumper in a scarf, in a thick pair of socks I mean this was the yeah. west coast of Ireland you know it was 30 degrees yeah. in London yeah, yeah. There's a famous crevice garden in Czechoslovakia, which is only Daphne. Okay. Oh, how divine. Yeah, all, all the high-altitude Daphnes, mm. yeah, tiny mm. little plants. Mm. Yes, and of course some of those things you see in Turkey and, and Iraq and Iran. Mm. Yeah, that's would, right. Would be, you'd be able to grow in a... Oh, I'm Perfect. Well, well, the the uh, Dioncia, I think it is, from Iran, you know, quite a lot of them are just found on one rock. Mm. So many different species. Mm. 
Which brings me to the other thing that I've been looking at, which is a, a YouTube channel by a, a woman called Summer Rain. That's R-A-Y-N-E, not, not Rain. And she started out doing her, her channel on the indoor plant thing, but she's obviously a woman with a great intellect. And she's expanded into other areas. And there's, there's a whole series she's done on the Gothenburg Botanic Gardens in Sweden, which is an extraordinary plant collection. So she mm. goes through each section of it with the curator, looking at all the different plants. I mean, the Alpine House is to die for. This would be better than reruns of Midsummer Murders. <laughs> oh, so much better. Yeah. And you can learn. Yeah. Well, I mean, I sort of th- I looked at her going through the tropical house and I thought, oh, do I really want to look at this? I thought, okay, I'll give it a five minutes. And I was transfixed. One collection after another, moving through room after room. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary. Well, yeah. bad luck to Midsummer Murders. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube for gardening is an extraordinary resource. It's fantastic. Although I must admit I do love Midsummer Murders in New Zealand, Broken Wood Mysteries. Right. Right. <laughs> Okay, I'll remember that one. <laughs> that sounds fabulous. It is. And where are you? Where are you getting all your rock gardens? Your your crevice gardens? I look. It's it's, it's something that's sort of formulating. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it sounds it sounds like you'll grow some. I mean, you already grow some amazing things. Yeah. Like, the, the the thing with a crevice garden is it uses a lot of rock. Mm. Yes, which is because it's all stood on its so side. So how, how do you ethically source your rock? That's a good question. Yeah, how do you ethically source rock? I don't know. You, yeah. I mean, you, if you're not living in a rocky area, I mean, yeah. how do you make sure that your rock's not being taken from somewhere that it shouldn't be taken from? Don't know. Okay. Don't know the answer to that. Okay, but he what? will have to find out. Yeah. And yeah. will. <laughs> I mean, I would have thought quarrying stone is you know as old as humanity. So. If it comes from an established quarry, but if, if they were taking it out of riverbeds or something, obviously mm. I wouldn't be interested. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think I'd better open up our lines. Uh, if if you would like to talk to us, you can contact us on nine four one nine zero one double five, and talk to me, Virginia Hayward, Penny Woodward, or Craig Wilson. Or if you'd like to send us a text, you can do that on zero four double eight eight zero nine eight double five. Do contact us. We'd love that. I mean, a lot of the rock in my rock garden is Western District rock, you know, the mm. volcanic rock, mm. which a lot of it was taken from Indigenous housing and walls and fish was, traps and Was things. that all there before you Absolutely, mm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's not my favourite rock, actually. I prefer something a bit sharper. Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, there's a, I mean, there's a quarry just outside Port Ferry um, on the west coast, yeah. and, and they've been quarrying bluestone there for a long time. But yeah. it's, you know, they're quarrying the, the stone that's actually there. They're not collecting it from from other places. Yeah, um, which, which I think is fine, isn't yeah, it? Well, I think so. I, You know, it's so hard to know these days, isn't it, whether, you know, and because it's been going for a long time, you know, half the buildings in Port Ferry. Yeah. Have been built from it, so um, yeah, I, I, yeah. There, um, there is always a point. I mean, there are people who want us to go back to pre whatever. Yeah, I think we have to evaluate different things we do. You know, digging rock out of a quarry involves big machinery, fuel, mm. blah blah blah. However, 
last night on the news, they just showed what was happening up in the top end and, and just the plastic mm. pouring, pouring onto the beaches. Pouring onto the beaches. Yeah. So let's Washing actually let's go to plastic first. You know, yeah. coming down yeah. from Southeast Asia, is it? All? Yeah, coming from Indonesia. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it happens yeah. in the dry season. Yeah. Not that the dry season's been very dry. My yeah. friends in Bellingen have just been washed out all through yeah. the dry season this year. Yeah, look, I think it's really tough. I think we do need to, obviously, plastics are really important, but I just think you need to have a thought to all of it. Absolutely. Um, if you're getting bringing something in, mm. you need to think Absolutely. about where's this coming from, whether it's potting mix or soil or a whole range of different or things. Or food. Just, or food. I mean, just and ask questions. And, and and flowers. When you go mm. to buy those flowers, no, 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 I don't no, buy flowers. No, no, I don't either. But if but plenty of people mm. do, and there is a slow flower movement now yes. where people are trying to get yeah. us to buy local, local flowers. flowers. Yep. And really, but then there's still two questions: Should we be buying flowers from Kenya? If we don't, what effect does it mm. have on the Kenya? I mean. It, there are so many complexities. Yeah. yeah. And we and do all need the pesticides that are used. Absolutely. But, but do the Kenyans do anything other than work on the flower farms? Well, that is the one of the very important questions. And yeah. are yes. they exploited? Yes. Yeah, and should they be growing food? Mm. <laughs> Highly likely. Yeah. Yes. And also someone told me that they were they spray them with glyphosate. They do. Yeah. 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 Because they don't want us to use them for propagation. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, yeah. I just I don't I don't buy. F- I mean, I I have a garden, so I don't buy flowers. Yeah. But, um, just very occasionally, I'll send flowers to a friend or something. But I do that through one of the one of the ethical mm. growers. Yes, but I think I think it's actually we have to, we do have to growers. think about all of these. Yeah. Things. Yeah. yeah. I think it's outrageous to, to to buy flowers that have been transported halfway around, around the, the world. world. Mm. The, the, that are provide nothing really, mm. and probably a week or at the most, and probably have to come by plane in yeah. refrigerated yes. planes. Yeah. When I was in Alaska one time, I couldn't believe the number of jumbos going through mm. because Alaska's, you know, this, I mean, the population's the size of, size of a pincushion. Yeah. And and I said to a local person, why on earth are there all these jumbos? You know, this airport full of jumbos, and there were tourists there, but not many. Mm. And uh, oh, he said, "Oh no, they just that they just go over the pole. Mm. They they're going to China for goods. Mm. Mm. So they're just fueling in Alaska. Yeah, they're just fueling in Alaska. Okay. Mm. Oh. Or, and I think living there when they, you know, like when they're not busy. Yep. It, it was mm. the airports bunk beds. Mm. Yeah, which is extraordinary. So I think the rock that I think that would probably be most suitable for a crevice garden in Victoria would be the Castle Mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which I assume is 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 a well established quarry. Mm. Mm. As far as I know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Penny, you haven't been reading about rock online. What have you been doing? <laughs> well, two, I'll I'll start from this one because it's the most recent. Two nights ago, I went to the lightscape in the Botanic Gardens. Ah, yes. And, I have heard nothing but good. And reports. it is just magical. You know, it's a. Our, our botanic gardens are fabulous anyway, and I, I think they're one of the best in the world from they're, all the gardens that I've seen. They're listed as one of the top five. Yes, yeah. And certainly Tim Entwistle, whom I also want to talk about in a minute, um, says that in in um, very strongly, and he is a bit of a, a um, botanic gardens buff, having run a couple of them and worked in several more and, and um, seen them all over the world. Um, but... 
the thing about the light show is it, it, everyone perceives it differently. So it, it's not only a stunning, and the, uh, and there are actually going to there's some photos up on our Facebook page because I sent a few to to Liz. Um, it's not only beautiful, but it also highlights the fabulous trees in the garden in particular, so that you just see trees in a different way. So it was special in so many ways. It was special to see the enthusiasm of all the people, but particularly the kids, you know, all the families together and going, wow, and, oh, and you know, it was just magical to, to be part of it. We, look, we were lucky it wasn't raining, mm. <laughs> so... Um, and it's an hour and a half walking through the garden, so it's not just a quick breeze through. There is so much to see. There are a couple of spots where you might have to wait a little while because it's much narrower going through. Um, But it it made me look at some of the trees in different ways. So for me, as as a botanist, um, it was a, it was about the beauty and the way everything was highlighted and the colours that were used and and there were some extraordinary things that didn't have a lot to do with um, with the trees. There was a sort of cathedral of light that you walked through, made up of all all of tiny little lights and huge. So it, um, it, the it made me think about the garden and the design of the garden because the way they were able to do it because of the um, design of the garden was that you didn't see the whole thing when you walked in. You only saw them as you turned the next corner and you'd see this extraordinarily lit up tree um, and then you turn the next corner and you see this cathedral of light that you would walk through and then the next corner and this huge tree with different coloured um, tubes of light that was sort of following the, the veins in the tree and the roots in the ground and Ben from Treasured Perennials was in two weeks ago yeah. in here, and he was saying the same that, that looking at looking at the um, the tracery of the leaves because mm. the mm. light was coming through the yeah. leaves, and he yeah. was just fascinated by yeah. the tracery of the yeah. leaves and and the and the some of the laser work that they did, sort of creating a ceiling over your head of and letting off steam to pick up the laser and all the all the different colours, but. Um, it was actually my daughter Ellen, whom I was with, with with some other members of the family, and um, she was commenting on the fact that the design, in, in what I was just saying, the design of the gardens that was done, you know, 120 years ago or 150 years ago, whatever it is, um, lent itself to how wonderfully this light exhibition works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I just think if you haven't been you should go it finishes on the 7th of august so there's not a lot of time left and there are some time it runs obviously from when it starts to get dark through till i think the last booking is 8 30 or 9 o'clock so um some of the the weekends are booked out early but there's still some later times if you want to go but i just think it's do a you, magnificent do you know if it runs all week um it goes from wednesday to sunday right. yeah so that's two things now, the light show at the Botanic Gardens and Emu Sky at Melbourne University. Yes, but the light show is probably more more immediate. So, so yes. when you say the Melbourne Botanic Gardens is one of the best in the world, is that as a result of design or the collection? or Everything. 
everything. It's the combination, but right. it is very much about the design. It, uh, yeah. Yes, the design is what most people see. Most people don't know about the science that goes on in the mm. background and the herbarium. And the... But our herbarium is absolutely extraordinary yes. because Von its Mueller, collection is extraordinary. Von Mueller, yeah. who was the first director, was mm. a great scientist, mm. and there's, coll- yeah. there's collections in there. Um, there's a correct collection from Brazil that the Brazilians are always contacting us about, which Von Mueller bought. And it's the only evidence of a whole lot of plants that have become extinct in the world. Yeah. I mean, we really yeah. have some very extraordinary things in that, in that herbarium. Yeah. And, of course, after Von Mueller, the, the next person that came was the garden designer. Mm-hmm. And he did extraordinary Guilfoyle. things. Guilfoyle. Mm-hmm. Guilfoyle. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he, he moved huge trees in the middle of summer with horses and carts and huge numbers of men and mm. successfully moved mm. them and he had an eye for for where the trees grew and to leave that that huge the views yep. he had a very very strong mm. sense yeah of, the design is mainly from Guilfoyle. yes yeah. absolutely yeah. Yeah, I mean, Von Mueller planted all the trees in straight yes. lines, which yes. is why Guilfoyle had to move them because <laughs> yes. the scientists wanted to be thorough. Yeah. 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 So, but, but the collection is a really strong scientific collection as well, well. So there's some amazing trees in that garden. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's things that are rare. That, and we've got an extraordinary camellia collection, yeah. one of the best in yeah. the world. Yeah. And, of course, that's in flower at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that's quite exciting. There was one camellia highlighted in the in the um, in the light show where the leaves were black and the and the flowers were sort of iridescent white. Oh, just the way they'd put the lights on it. It was just extraordinary. So the camellia collection is it Japonica hybrids or? Oh, it's um, Gilfoyle's father was one of the earliest people into Sydney. Yeah, and he brought he started bringing um, camellias in, mm. and so that was the start. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's been various other things that have happened, like there was um, a, a man called Bob Withers who lived in Campwell, I think, who had an extraordinary camellia collection, and when he died, a whole lot of them came in. I mean, there's the yellow camellia that was only discovered in Vietnam. I mean, discovered, one assumes that the Vietnamese who lived yeah. around it knew all about it. But, yeah. you know, it, it, was only, it was only found to mm. science in, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They're all there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and there's an extraordinary cactus collection now too in the yeah, in your cactus garden. Mm. So And that again came from Yeah, a that, donation. There was a donation, yeah. yeah. Well that yeah. that came because one of the um one of the gardeners was driving through Shep and he he just drove past and saw saw this extraordinary collection of cactus in a paddock mm. and went in and the man was saying, Oh was in his eighties, Oh my family aren't interested in this. Mm. Um, it was it, a lot of it came from my father. My father sponsored a collection yeah. into um, South America okay. in the forties. A collecting trip. A collecting trip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know what's going to happen? They'll just bulldoze it. Well, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's take some <laughs> to the botanic gardens. Yeah. So can I just? This is the other thing. One of the other things I was going to talk about is this extraordinary book that's been written by Tim Entwistle who is the CEO of the Botanic Gardens. It's actually not in bookshops yet, but you can pre-order it. Um, It's called Evergreen and it's subtitled The Botanical Life of a Plant Punk, which I just love. (laughs) And it's this really, really lovely um, painting of Tim on the front cover. But he he says, uh, this is about the Botanic Gardens, it really is one of the most exquisite botanical garden creations on earth, the Botanic Garden unto itself. 
That's thanks largely to the extraordinary design by my 19th century predecessor, William Guilfoyle. Endless lawns sloping gently or sometimes tumbling towards the vast lakes with wild garden islands. Stunning views around every corner framed by sinuous garden beds lush with the world's flora. Today, even the gap-toothed skyscrapers of the nearby city to the northeast are a welcome borrowed landscape at the end of the longest and most breathtaking of these vistas across Princess Lawn. Few other botanic gardens feel so self-contained, yet so indispensable to the city in which they dwell. I just... I just Beautiful. I, I, it, he says it so well. Absolutely. But I just don't think most of us realise the treasure that we have because we've grown up with it. It's always been there. We've just It's been somewhere that we can visit with beautiful trees. Um, but it is such an important part of of our city and um, and the science behind it all is really important too. So, and the science yeah. really needs support from the Abs- government yeah. because our because the herbarium Yeah, the is, herbarium collection is amazing. The herbarium, herbarium itself, itself is, is not a fit for bit purpose. of a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, so we should all be working towards getting a new, new herbarium. New herbarium, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's that is fabulous. I must get a copy of the book. Yeah, well, look, it's... It, and, you know, Tim has worked at Kew. He has worked at Sydney. I mean, yes, he, he does yeah. know his he's, botanic he's gardens. Really, he's really funny, though, too, because it's not just about the gardens, it's about him. And he he admits to being um, a bit of a media tart. So he loves coming on, on um, he does. radio shows and all that sort of thing. So, you know, we should probably get him in here again. I might see if soon. he wants to come in next weekend, in fact. Yeah, well, mm. yes, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it... It's a really interesting story because he actually wasn't interested in gardens as a young man. He was interested in all sorts of other things, but it gradually it came to him that this was something that he was really interested in. But his real um, botanical claim to fame is um, freshwater um, algae. So okay. he specialised particularly in red freshwater water algae and yeah. he gradually collected all over Australia all these samples that had never been collected before and identified all, all sorts of algae um, that nobody knew existed in Australia and then related them. And he actually went to, the I think it was the Swedish Botanic Gardens, where another algal person had collected all these red algal samples and um, he was given access to it and he was able to compare them to all the ones that he'd collected and... Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting story botanically as well as sort of gardening wise because he has some really interesting ideas about gardens and you know, the whole lightscape thing I think is part of highlighting the garden. So it's part of showing us what we've got. So mm. I, I think he's a really good person to have in the gardens. But if you're interested in plants at all and people and Melbourne, um you you need to read Tim's book, which I think is I'm only I'm three quarters of the way through it. I haven't quite finished it, but it jumps around a bit to different things. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really interesting story, both um, you know, on a human perspective, but also as a as on a botanical perspective. And I think the importance of the science. I mean, what makes a botanic gardens a botanic gardens rather than a park? Yes, is, is, the, is ed- the science, the science, and the yep. education and the yep. collections. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yep. Yep. So that is, and Melbourne is right up there. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we need to mention Cranbourne as well. Of course, of Cranbourne's course. extraordinary. Cranbourne's extraordinary. Too. Totally yeah. extraordinary. So, yeah. and, and, and to have a garden like that built in the 21st yeah. century, I mean, it yeah. just doesn't happen these days. No. It, it, that, it, it's a credit to, to Melbourne. Yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. And it's it just did. a pity they wouldn't do the same thing in Alinda. Yes. Well, even just put some money in. Yeah. And, and when it was first opened, it mm. won a prize for being the best new garden in the world. Yep. Yeah, that doesn't and it, and it's won, at all. it's won subsequent prizes as mm. well. And there's the beautiful book that's just been published about the Friends of the Cranbourne Gardens, which mm. is well worth looking at mm. too. So, Well, as you know, I'm a guide at the Botanic Gardens and I love that Botanic Gardens. Mm. And I mm. know it so well now because I've been guiding there for about 15 years. Okay. Yeah. And I'm taking a walk on August the 14th and one on August the 19th. And the best way to... I mean, there's walks every day and it's absolutely worth doing yep. because the guides, we all have diff- slightly different stories. Mm. We all know different things. Mm. We all have different bits of the garden that's our favourite. And we have so much information to give people. Mm. Yep. And, it's, and when I go to a garden overseas, I always look for a guide yep. because a local okay. person can just tell you about things mm. that... Mm. You, you'll just brush past otherwise. You mm. just miss. Yep. And even with Q, I occasionally do it, and I know Q quite well because, yep. you know, I've okay. been going there for a long time. Mm. I was there a few weeks ago, mm. and it's absolutely beautiful, mm. but it doesn't have that, that fabulous design that, mm. that Melbourne has. Yep. I mean, Q is wonderful, and, it's, yes. you know, they've just dis- discovered a completely new giant water lily. Okay. Which is an extraordinary story. Mm. Um and it, you know, it it is it's not dinner plate size. It's it's much it's five dinner mm. plate size. It's mm. huge and it's been in the herbarium for years mm. and somebody just thought, mm, This looks a bit different. Out, yeah. And bang, there's a totally new plant. And yeah, what I don't I love know it and nobody's happens. talked about it, but I mean Tim will probably know is whether it exists in the wild or not. Mm. I have no idea. Mm. Now, somebody's texted in saying, where do I find ethical flowers? Oh, okay. Um, you just you need to do a bit of a search. I, I don't, ha- don't remember the names off the top of my head because I haven't sent flowers recently, but um, they are definitely out there. I mean, if you just put ethical flowers into a... Into ethical a, flowers, Melbourne. Melbourne, mm. into mm. a search, you, would, you will find at least half a dozen good places. And for everybody, if you do want to speak to us, that is me, Virginia Hayward, Penny Woodward or Craig from Gentiana, you can ring us on 94190155 or you can send us a text on 0488 809 So, Craig, you should probably talk about some of those Yeah, look, the topical things at the moment are Galanthus. Um, and, you know, recently I was in a garden in Camberwell and there was a great drift of Galanthus alwesii under the deciduous trees, which made me realise that it is possible. Yes, Camberwell's not cool. Not cool. It is possible to grow these things in Melbourne. Now, I have to say to people who live in Camberwell, I wasn't referring to your trendy status. I was referring to the fact that you <laughs> yeah, actually climate. have hot summers. Yeah, that's yes. right. Hot summers, yeah. I mean, I think the secret is to get them in deep. Um, so that the, the soil temperature is consistent. But there is an extraordinary array of, of um, Galanthus if you want to seek them out. Can you so, explain can, the difference between snowdrops and snow... What do we call the other ones? Snowdrops is Galanthus and snowflakes is, Luca- snowflakes, snowflakes is Lucogium. Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, Leucodrum has weed potential, and, uh, uh, particularly from... in moist areas. Okay. Yeah. And are from Spain? I think they're from Spain. From Spain, are because they? Because they, yeah. they're a problem in Britain. Yeah. They've been they're, introduced there and they have weed potential they because would. it is wet. They're a problem in New Zealand too. Mm. I've seen acres of them. Mm. Yeah, dreadful I mean, they're things. beautiful, but they're, mm. not as, they're not as fine as but the galanthus. The galanthus is small and delicate. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, the one I've got in my hand now is a Nivalis form called Double Diamond. It's got the, lots of extra petals. Lots of extra petals mm. and little green patches in the middle and, yeah. Doubles is not normally something I'd go for, but I think I'd accept this. Mm, that's beautiful. So they have white petals, and the inner inner petals are um, white with green spots. And quite a few of the different varieties is how many green spots they have. And I have <laughs> to say, people do become totally obsessive about galanthus and collect them, and can tell the difference between. Two that look exactly the same to me. That's the galanthophiles. Yeah, I don't think I'd, I'd fit into that category, but because there are so many things to collect, and then and then there are these forms now, which are what they call the yellow galanthus. This one's called Wendy's Gold, mm, which um, is white. It's white, yeah, but it, it has yellow, and, and right in the middle. Yeah, right in the yeah. middle, and it, it, they're very pretty. For anybody who wants to look that up, Galanthus is G-A-L-A-N-T-H-U-S. And they're bulbs. It's a bulb, and they're, they're cool climate woodland bulbs. You certainly don't plant them out in the sun. No. Under big trees? Deciduous trees. Yeah. Yeah, so they so get they the get sun the, at this time of yes, the year. winter yeah. sun, but summer shade. And are they ones that you can leave in the ground? Absolutely. Or do you have to I dig them up I don't lift year. bulbs. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 yep. no bulbs in my garden that require lifting. Okay. Well, what I do do is perhaps once every three or four years, I lift the clump and divide them mm. to encourage them to increase more. But the most common one is LWCI, and it is the most robust, and it's just about finished flowering now. Mm. It's sort of, they're just turned over, so they're quite early flowering, and they're definitely on the cards for Melbourne. Well, I put some in from you last yeah. year, and they're all flowering at the moment. Yeah, mm. they flower at Coolart down on the Mornington Peninsula. They've yep. got some, some wild sown ones. Okay, there that, um, along with various jonquils and daffodils, come up yep. every year without any care. Yeah. So yeah. Yes, I don't. I don't like putting my bulbs anymore in amongst my grasses. I find a lot of my grasses are just too vigorous. Vigorous. Mm. They. A lot of the little bulbs, you need to have an area that's dedicated mm. to them because mm. they're so easily swamped and you have to accept that there's going to be a bare patch in the summer mm. when they're dormant. Um, I mean, a lot of mine I grow under the dissectum maples, you know, the weeping maples, which is perfect mm. because there's summer interest from the trees. And you do the same with your cyclamen, don't you? You, get, you allow them to have their space. That's right. And yep. they are looking fabulous. I have mm. to say, Craig's... Craig's nursery is worth visiting mm. at the moment. Okay. The, um, the cyclamen comb. It's probably worth visiting all year round. Well, yes. There's always something going on, <laughs> yeah. But the, the winter, I don't know, there is a, a beauty about the winter garden, a, a, yes. del, a delicacy. Yeah. 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 And, and I think winter gardens can be hard if you're not growing bulbs, you know, because there's not as much in flower in, in other shrubs and that sort of thing. I love yeah. my bulbs. I, you know. Yeah. 
I'm not I love, good with them, but I just love the way they come up every year without me having to do anything. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I plant a lot of summer bulbs because, I mean, bulbs that are summer dormant. Yeah. Because I don't have to worry about getting them through. Mm. This. I mean, we haven't had these summers for about yeah. five years now, but yeah. I got my garden in the middle of the drought mm. and became obsessed with how to get mm. things through the summer and have had some real problems with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same with me. I mean, I bought we bought gentiana right at the beginning of the drought. Mm. Yeah, and it, it it impacted my decision making, and it still does, mm. which is crazy. Mm. Yeah. But it's but I think the winter garden, if it I, it always surprises me that open gardens isn't open during mm. winter because mm. I think some of the winter gardens. To I see mean, some of those. My things. gardens, I think my garden's gorgeous at the moment. Mm. It's got all, bulbs mm. coming up everywhere. Mm. There's various. All the wattles are beginning to come out. True. I've got about thirty camellia trees. Not all mm. different, but I've got about thirty camellia trees. They're all coming into flower. Mm. I mean, there's the birds are as happy as Larry in my garden mm. at the moment because there's so many flowers out. Yep. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Nyphophia, there's the big one, winter chia. Mm, yeah. And, and, and Sarmentosa, the little one. Yeah. And Daphne? Is Daphne's, that a Daphne of course. Are many there? Daphne's in my yeah. garden. Yeah. Yeah, your garden's wonderful for Daphne's. Um, Daphne Odora, but for me, the white one is, is supreme mm-hmm. just for the perfume. Okay. Um, so this, is this, this the more recent white one, or is this an no, old white one? No, it's an old, It's a form of Odora. Oh, okay. The new one is Perfume Princess. That's right. Yeah, which yes. is fantastic. Um, yep. It's got a plant variety right on it, so I can't propagate it. It is divine. Mm. It's, it's, it's so a, big. It's mm. a cross between okay. Balua and Odora. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Balua gives it the scale. Yes. And it, it flowers a little bit earlier than Odora, so it sort of extends the season. And the smell goes right across the garden. Yeah. It's just fabulous. Yeah. And many others. This is a little one um, that's coming out now, uh, Cross Hybrida, which is a compact little Daphne with small leaves and pink flowers. And it does the main thing early spring and then spot flowers throughout the year. And what about how long do you think a Daphne lives? Oh, this this variegated white one's on the way out now. And how old would it 20? be? Twenty. All right. Well, yeah, that's... which is a good innings for a Daphne for Absolutely. Adora. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So look, once they start going backwards, you just pull them out. Don't prolong the agony. Yes. Because they're not going to go forward again. Can you take cuttings? Not from a sick one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you can take cuttings around... Yeah, Daphne, Christmas time. Christmas time, yeah. yes. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what I was So if you say. were forward planning sort of five years ago, you would have taken That's cuttings. That's right, and, yeah. yeah. Well, and you, you've you, probably got more than one, so take mm. cuttings from the healthy one. The, the mm. Daphne have a very short growth period. Mm. Um, it's really just straight after they flower, they go through a little bit of a scruff period when they're dropping all their leaves, and then the new growth comes, and, and by January it's finished. Mm. So pruning is is immediately after flowering or during. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, to bring some inside. Yeah. Now we've got a, a question on the outside line. John from Sunshine is trying to identify a certain type of plum tree. It's like a Setsuma or a Mariposa, but the fruit stays on the tree much, much later into autumn. I have no idea. No, I don't think I do either. I'm afraid. My 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 mariposa plum is early. Um, it's early, is yeah, it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm picking well before Christmas, so um, yeah, I don't know one that who who would know though. I'm just trying to think. Graham, he yeah. uh, he is away, but I could send him an email. 
So I'll take a note of that, John, from Sunshine and see if Graham, who is overseas at the moment, but if he's back, I'll ask him if he's got any ideas and we'll and I'll talk to you next week if I get any reply because unfortunately I'll be here again four weeks in a row. I'm terribly sorry, listeners. You must be very bored with the sound of my voice. Um, Everyone's gone overseas. <laughs> well, sorry. every single flight I was on was complete, including first class, mm. completely full. I've never mm. seen, you know, I, I only get to walk through first class, mm. but I've never seen it full before. Mm. Um, extraordinary. Yeah. And hideous. Flying is for the birds. Okay. The airports are vile. Okay. Yeah. I cannot There's try There's plenty to see overseas. in Victoria. Yeah, indeed. I'm, I'm exploring. <laughs> I'm going to Malden after this to give a talk, so I'm yeah. heading into the into rural Victoria, which well, will be I'm, lovely. I'm going to go to Melton Botanic Gardens. Oh, that'll be nice. Good. Just because I haven't been yeah. for ages. And yeah. so I said to one of my friends, I'll take you to Melton Botanic Gardens yeah. tomorrow. Yep. I yeah, I mean, that's could... what I think we should all be doing. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, you know, I lived there 20 years, half of my life's over yeah. there, so I go back mm. for emotional reasons mm. rather than... I don't go sightseeing. Yeah. The yeah. allure of travelling's faded, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, for lots of people. <laughs> yeah. I think for young people, you know, it's yeah. but a lot of us have done a lot of travelling. Yeah, that's you know, right. You know, maybe we want to stay closer to home now. Yeah. But do we oh. need to give out the... Um, Call call line again. Yes, the number if you would like to talk to us is nine four one nine zero one double five, and the text. No, please don't remove that that one from the screen. I'm talking to the producer, everybody, because I need to take down what John from Sunshine has said, <laughs> <laughs> so I can talk to him next week. Um, the text number is zero four double eight eight zero nine eight double five. Thank you, Lizzie. That's our producer today. And the talkback, 94190155. Do give us a ring. So can I talk about the latest edition of Organic Gardener magazine? Please do. Um, so the latest edition has mandarins on the front cover, lovely orange mandarins, and there's a special article by, um, by Helen about how to succeed with citrus. So it's a problem solver for citrus, which is... Which is really good. Um, there's one about having your own greenhouse and how that can really make a difference to um, growing your own food. And that's by Jian Lu, which she always writes really interesting articles from different perspectives. And um, Paul um, Paul West has written about spuds. So I think we always need to keep going back to spuds and trying different ones and growing new ones and... Do you eat spuds? Sorry? Do you eat spuds? Oh, do they? Okay. They I don't have deer on the peninsula. We've tried to grow them at do Long Acres, really? but no, they just graze to the ground. Oh, oh, how irritating. Yeah. Yes, I don't, I, you know, I haven't had to deal with, deal with deer. I so. find, I, I grow, mm. I grow spuds in my compost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, quite extensively. Yeah. Well, you see, my garden beds all end up in compost beds because I rotate the compost around the beds mm. and I usually plant spuds in the most recently composted bed, which I've, which so I've done So do you actually year. compost straight into the beds? Yep. Right. Yeah. The world's a compost bin, isn't it? Well, pretty much, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. So you dig, you, you'll dig a trench and then just... No, I just pile it all on top. Oh, right. So I have worm farms for Mm. for sort of kitchen waste and the rest of it just gets piled. I have eight raised beds 
And the and the level drops every year because the plants use so much, so much, absolutely. Um, and I just keep adding to it and, and yeah. adding to it. So, um, I've got two beds that are my compost heaps at the moment for all the weeds and um and other bits that I'm doing. And I shred everything that I take out of the garden, and the big logs get burnt. So nothing leaves my garden. Yeah. So ever. you sh- you shred the weeds? Uh, do you it depends. Them? It depends. Because mm. I've got a big an old bin, and I put. Weeds mm. in there, and then top it with water. Oh, as in compost, yeah. Mm. Um, as in, yeah. Just weed, a boring... making making weed tea, basically. Yeah. 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 No, mainly I don't. I just because... I don't use it as weed tea. I just yeah. use it to drown, drown them. them. Yeah. Mm. If there's a lot of seed, then I'll do that. I do it quite often with cooch grass. Mm. I've got an old rubbish bin that I fill up with cooch grass, and then fill it up with, with water, water, and then I then I put it, actually pour it over these bigger beds once mm. it's all rotted. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's all just going back. I, sorry, this is a totally different story, but I'll tell it to you anyway. One in the next issues of Organic Gardener, I have um, written an article about composting your clothes. So there's the, when we're talking about waste problem and plastics and things like that, the yeah. whole textile industry yeah. is is just a disaster because nearly ninety percent ends up in the at the tip. So people are starting to make, um, you know, the cotton industry is tri- is doing some really quite interesting trialling of putting um, recycled cotton clothes back in when they spread their compost to plant their next crop each year. And there should be some news about that in the next couple of days of, of the results. But some months ago, I, I decided to, you know, have a go at composting natural fibre clothes in the garden. So cotton, linen, not that I've got much linen, but and yeah, <laughs> And you hang on to that, don't and you? Yes, you do. <laughs> um, wool, um, but, you know, those those sorts of things. I've For years I've used them as blankets in the worm farm, so old T-shirts and that sort oh. of thing go, become blankets. Um, but this time I actually used it as... Mul- so I, I, a bed that I was about to plant into, I spread the cotton um, things over the top um, and then plant, made holes through it, planted the tomato plants and then spread mulch over the top of that. Um, and eight months later, when the, when the tomatoes came out of the garden, there was nothing left. Really? No trace? Well, there were traces. There yeah. was the elastic band around the footy shorts <laughs> yeah. was still there um, and there was, um, um, there was a zip, which I hadn't cut out. I thought I'd sort of cut those out. There was... Um, and one of the pairs of jeans obviously had some other fibres in it. So there was a sort of a, a thing of fibre um, which went into the bin. So from from enough clothes to spread all over this large bed, that's all that was left was the one elastic band. And the that's fantastic, yeah, isn't it? It I was love really it. it was really interesting because since I've written the article, and as I said, it's coming out in the next issue. It's not in this one. Um, we've heard from the scientist who was doing the the experiment on um, burying your undies. So they were getting kids involved in citizen science and getting them to bury um, cotton underpants in their garden beds and see how what they were like when they dug them up again six months later. So they found that it it ranged from almost no change, so that you could almost put them back on again, to all gone except for the elastic waistband. Yeah. Um, 
you wouldn't want to put such synthetic underpants on your children's no, little bottoms. No, would no, you? no, no. But these were cotton ones. Oh, they were because cotton. what they were finding is that if you don't have an active microbiome in your soil, your underpants don't break down. So it's telling you about the quality of, of your, your soil. soil. Okay. So an extraordinary experiment. By... That is fantastic. Yes, I love yes. it. So they're expanding that a little bit into some other countries, which I think is really good. Um, this was a recent news thing that I got, but it was interesting because Steve, our editor, sent my article to this scientist and he said, oh, she's doing some things I haven't even thought about. <laughs> so Excellent. Because I've also used, I used jean legs for fertiliser sausages. So I'd fill, and long-sleeved um, shirts, you can do it if you want it to break down more quickly, but you can fill it up with manure or a mixture of straw and manure and you put them in specific places and put a bit of mulch over the top mm-hmm. and it's a slow-release fertiliser yeah. um, so that as the jeans or the T-shirt breaks down, it is released into the soil, particularly good around fruit trees. And it stops the birds from digging it up and all that sort of or thing. Or dogs. But, or dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so well, that's a brilliant idea. So, so yeah. So I had a lot of fun researching and So has and this writing. been written up for Organic Australia? Um, Organic Gardener magazine. Yes, that's what I meant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's in the next issue. Not this one that I'm just talking about, about... Um, Mandarins and and with lots of other nice good things in there, but the it is a, the one that's out in about three weeks. I have to say to listeners, it's the only Australian magazine that I find I have to read. Oh, okay, good. I do oh. think. I mean, yeah. I I do read quite a lot of the English ones. We when, do when keep trying them, to find new things um, that are important. And but um, the other thing, the other thing about it, I think that attracts me, is there's a bit of depth. Oh, absolutely, and and I, and I, I want I want something to tell me something I don't I don't mind reading mm. about something I know as long as it takes a slant that I want that I get more you, information. You find something else yes. out. Yeah, I don't want to be reading things all the time that's made for the first time new garden. Yeah, well, we we try to cater for both, but it is definitely a more in depth. I. Tongue in cheek, tell people at the garden show that um, we're actually writing for intelligent gardeners, but. <laughs> It, it's I about time that organic do. ceased to be an issue and it was yeah, just normal, I know, isn't it? It's, I know. it's crazy. Mm. Look, it's tricky because magazines rely on advertisers. Yeah. So um, we constantly, I'm having to vet potential advertisers to see whether they're truly organic. Yeah. Um, and you you can't afford to, um, you know, other magazines... Um, you know, they might not survive if yeah. they weren't able to take the advertising. And I know readers complain about the advertising, but if we charged you what we ha- would have to charge you without the advertising, you wouldn't buy the magazine. Mm. Same for this. So, it's the story yeah. of SBS, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's still one of the best television stations we have, yes. even though it has ads. Yes. It's so far ahead of the other advertising stations yes. that you've, yeah. you've got to realise that yeah. it has to pay its staff. Yeah, mm. yeah. So the the article that I wrote in this issue, which I'm quite excited about, is is about all abilities gardening. So I went and visited um, the garden um, Sages Cottage on the Mornington Peninsula, where they are working with with people with diff- young people with different abilities. So it's people who've come out of school um, and are trying to get in the workforce. And what they're doing is teaching them about gardening, about um, Things like mowing and whippersnippering um, about 
they're doing a bit of woodwork, but they also they're, they're doing hydroponics and, and um, fish, you know, the whole fish system. Um, when you say fish, you mean um, aquaculture? Aquaculture, that yeah. was the term Good. I <laughs> my yeah. brain couldn't quite find. Um, so a, a whole, and they're in this beautiful garden, which is, has a very a lovely old house in it from the, from the 1800s. Um, and you can actually go there and see these young people working. Yeah. You can, t- to some extent, chat to them. Um, but you can have a cup of coffee and you can, in, in the restaurant where they're working as well, using produce from the garden. Um, and they, um, you can go for a walk in the, in the bushland. So there's a, there's a lake and there's a bushland walk that you can do as well. So you can, and Sounds you like can. Well worth a visit. It's absolutely worth a visit. But um, it, it, it is just one of these sorts of places that are helping people with diverse abilities. So um, Kevin Hines Grow, is, of course, is another one with the nursery. Um, and they produced a book recently which to commemorate their 40th anniversary. And that's a really lovely book that goes takes you right back to the, the beginning and, and Kevin's inspiration of saying that, you know, kids with different abilities should be allowed to be out in the garden and doing things and, you know, this sort of positive engagement. But I think the thing that I discovered more than anything else in, in writing this article was how important NDIS is to mm-hmm. these people. Um, that, that this outreach that they're doing and their ability to come and work in these places and then find paid work later, which a lot of them are able to do, some without support and some with ongoing support, only happens because of NDIS. So, and it's made a huge difference to the Kevin Hines Grow organisation as well because they've bought Pepper Tree Place over the other side of Melbourne, Coburg, and you can, again, you can go and have a cuppa there and be served by the people who are training to use, to be, to work in cafes and do those sorts of things. Um, so I just, you know, I, I think under our new government, NDIS is going to get better Treatment yes. certainly was I nice certainly to hear so. some positive things said uh, about it, absolutely. instead of just a drain on the public yeah. purse. But but when uh, I when I wrote this, the election hadn't happened, and I just mm. wanted to get something positive out there and say how important it was. And there's also one page in here about the um, Dylan Alcott Garden at the at Mifkas, which um, Carolyn and Joby Blackman and Vivid Design were were involved with, and and how important that garden was, and some of the Kevin Hines Grow people actually came and helped, worked and were paid to um, to work in the garden to to plant the things that needed to be planted. But um, Dylan Alcott's attitude to what the garden needed was really interesting because he he didn't want really obvious things for people with with disability or with other abilities. And he said that if, you, if you're putting a spot for a wheelchair, don't put it at the end, put it in the middle. Mm. You know, so something as, as obvious as that because you subtle. don't want to be... It's subtle. Yeah, but you don't want to be at the, on the end all the time. You want yes, to be in the middle absolutely. of it all. Yeah. Um, well, Sue Stevens, who comes on this, she's, she's been working with um, doing horticultural teaching yes. with a lot yeah, of the, yeah, there's some wonderful, mixed ability people. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I found the working on this and talking to people um, really inspirational, and it's I you know it, so there's a lot of good things in this issue of organic cut. It's rare that there's not good things in it. I have to say, we have a call from Julie in Camberwell. Hello, Julie. Are you there? Hi, Virginia. Hi, Virginia. Good morning. 
I'd like to, um, I'd like permission to cut my kumquat tree down to nothing and see if it regrows because I've had it for 20 years and it's, the last three or four years it's just been miserable, probably the last five or six years. And um, I've tried everything, all Stephen's things and what have you, and it's still miserable. So I just think either I'll dig it out or how far back can I cut it? Well, and cut them really hard. One word of warning. I had a kumquat tree which blocked all my winter sunshine in my daughter's house and I cut it down because I wanted it gone. Yeah. And then I took my eye off the ball. And it's coming back, but it's not the kumquat. It was obviously grass. Below the grass. So if you do, I mean, yes, definitely, I think you're going to cut it or kill it, so why not cut it first? But make sure that you check and see if it's grafted. Yeah, I agree. I think the thing to do is not to take it down into the trunk. Absolutely not, yeah. So so cut back all the branches to small, short stumps, but don't go into the trunk. I I did one a few years ago at Folly Farm, and it's fine. And do you reckon oh, now would be an okay time to do it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, look, I, I just did it when I thought they're, it. They're She's tough. in Camberwell, so... Yeah, they're yeah. tough as old boots. Yeah, so I, right. I would do it when you But I'd accompany it with a, a lot of fertiliser, a yeah. really okay. big feed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Is it a big okay. kumquat? No, no, it's one of the smaller... It's a small one. It's probably not more than about seven... Oh, sorry, two metres maybe. Okay. Yeah. 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 But it's always been prolific and, and wonderful and it just sort of went off the boil and, and I did try pruning just a little but I think I just caused a lot of twiggy stuff. So I thought I need to get serious, you know. Penny's absolutely on the ball. Just take the branches back. The obvious yeah. thing yeah. to do if you have the patience is to prune it in the summer so that you're pruning it after its major growth spurt. But so if it's not having major growth spurts, you're probably... Yet. But last time and she pruned it, she got an enormous amount of oh, that stuff. Was, that was years ago. Oh, right. Oh. Years ago. And it was sort of um, spindly stuff, you know. So then I had to keep clearing out the centre again. Um, but I didn't cut it back hard. I just I just had a, well, have a little... Well, def- mm. definitely have a go, with Julie, <clears> and yeah. see what happens. And the, other, the other thing is um, just the discussion, if you've got time. Um, I'd like to know about lobelias because um, I, I used to be in the Friends, growing Friends, but and they sold us one that grew to about a metre, I think. With red flowers? Oh. Yeah. Sorry. With red Sif- flowers. Red and yellow flowers, yeah. yeah. And and then there's little ones, but then I've seen on Instagram there's ones that grow to like, you know, three metres tall, and I just thought... Are they available in Australia? Like, are they a plant that is common? Or? Yeah, Yamina and Mombolk has the big one. It, it comes from the Kenyan Highlands. Oh, does it? So okay. it needs some altitude, I think. Oh, okay. But Not my Campbell. experience of lobelias is that they're thirsty. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm I'm not desperate to grow them, but yeah. I just them. They look really interesting. Oh, there's variety. there is some absolutely fabulous ones, and if you've got a pond if you grow them right near the pond because I think Craig's right that they do like water. I, I was at a garden show called Hampton Court in um, out of London recently and some of the lobelias they had there were just spectacular. There are wonderful lobelias and 
you know, we only think of those little things that you put in yeah. a basket. The annuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have a further search around that. I just thought I don't. And we'll, think we we will grow them. I just love them. Well, we'll mm-hmm. get someone to talk about lobelias one week on the show. That'd be good. Thank I you. Think Thank the, you. The big goodness. one's monocarpic, isn't it? Don't know. I think so. Mm-hmm. There's, there's one called Gil. Hang on. Jibberella. Yeah, and thanks, everybody. Thanks, Julie. Bye. Bye. I, it's one of the things I love about gardening is that you learn new things all the time. I yeah. didn't even know there were lobelias that weren't the little annual ones. Yeah, lots of them. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, because I'm so focused on edible and, mm, mm. yeah, all that side of it, I don't know as much about the flowers. Well, <laughs> that's why we have so many yes, of us in I here. Know. We have another call. Which is Sonia from Broadmeadows. Hi, Hello. Sonia. Hello. Thank you very much. I really enjoy your show every Sunday morning. Um, what what I have is a uh, a little personal crisis of pruning. Um, <laughs> Join because, the club. <laughs> because of uh, circumstances and the weather, um, everything is um, out of order. Um, I've got roses that continually. Uh, flower, still flowering. So I, I've got roses, I've got kiwi fruit, grapes, fajoa trees, and um, I, I just have to prune them now. Now, am I going to kill everything or uh, grapes, for instance? Is it too late to prune grapes? And um, uh, kiwi fruit and fajoa, if, if it's the wrong time, uh, then how do I go out causing the least damage? And I have one specific one about a bush. Well, the grapes, the grapes are getting pruned all over the Yarra Valley at the moment. So yeah, don't and I haven't pruned that. mine yet. I'm about I'm pruning it in the next week or so. So grapes are fine. Um, oh. You're fine to prune your roses now. Yeah, ki- kiwi fruit's a continual job, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but I mean, mine have lost all its leaves, so yeah. it needs to be pruned now too. Mm. So I would have no problem with pruning yeah. kiwi fruit now either. Ah, um, Fijar is easy. I mean, they, yeah. they they shoot back anywhere. Yeah. Oh, good. So just do it. Yeah. I thought you were going to ask about fruit trees, and that would have been a much more complicated answer. Yeah. Fijaras need lots of fertiliser. They're really hungry plants. Yes, yes. No, I see. Right, so the kiwi kiwi fruit actually provide us with shade rather than fruit. And um, we got someone in last year and he didn't do a good job at all, even from my inexperienced perspective. Yep. Um, so I can't. Um, well, I, I won't. I can't kill a kiwi fruit, can I? No, and and you'll have two plants because are you, I have. Yeah. So you you just need to treat them as slightly different plants and make sure you cut them back about the same. And if you're not worried about the fruit, then just prune them to what you want. Um, uh, generally, leave a couple of longer ones and um, then cut back. To within a couple of buds, so in much the same way as you prune your grape, oh. really. Oh. Well, that's excellent. 
Now, there's one bush which I'm now sitting in front of looking through the window. It's, uh, I don't know its name, but the uh, little birds, uh, honey eaters, love it. It's orange uh, flowers. It's even got a few on still. Oh, no, it hasn't. Um, and it, but what it is, it's the nature of it. It's got lots of um, shoots from the ground. It doesn't have one trunk. Okay. It has many. And so how do I prune something like that? Do I thin it out or, or, or just leave it be a bush? Marmalade plant? Oh, possibly. Oh. I bet it could be any salvia too. Mm. Orange? Yeah, not usually orange, I agree. Uh. Um, could be a marmalade plant. But if it's shooting from the base, then you can cut the old growth down right down as, and as just let the new like. growth come, mm. come up. Well, yeah, I'm just don't at... don't cut to a point where you can't see any shoots. Shoots? What's a shoot? Well, you know, where you can't see that there's something going to come out. Those points where the leaves come out on a plant. Oh, I see. So, so, so don't you... effectively don't cut in. When we're not sure what plant it is, we wouldn't cut into old wood. Yeah, and don't cut it to the ground. So, no. so always leave some stumps behind of the various branches that are coming. I would only cut right. it by by a third or a half. Yeah. It sounds to me like the sort of thing that could be clipped. Mm. But looking at it, I've got, I'd say, about a, a close to 60 or 40 uh, um, stalks make up the bush rather than one main yeah. um Well, so, so go over it with a pair of shears and yeah. get it to the yeah. height you want. Yeah, yeah that, that's what, what I would have thought it? as a job for the hedging shears. Mm. Ah, so I treat it like a hedge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that's, that's very, very helpful. And, and when my wattle finishes a flowering, which it will start, I hope, it's, it's not a, a tree, it's a sort of bush. Do you prune wattles straight after they've finished flowering? Yes, but do you have to prune it? Well, no, not this year, no. Well, don't. You give me such good advice. You know, I, <laughs> you know, I, I sound exactly like I am, absolutely... Ignorant in this in this well, area. Well, keep listening to us, and we'll help you out where we can. Yeah. I, and, and I, I did something this well yesterday, in fact, which was particularly stupid. Walking around with my secateur, thinking, "Oh my God, I've got to get pruning," and I hacked into something called Cape honeysuckle or a Tacoma, and I'm yeah. looking at what I've just cut off, and I thought, "Oh, they're all buds." <laughs> That wasn't a good idea. Luckily, it was the there'll back be, of the plant, and I promptly stopped. <laughs> if it's if it's Tacoma, there'll be more buds. Don't but if worry. It, but if it's any comfort, Sonia. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, but... so just to, if you go back to the wattle, wattles don't really need to be pruned unless you are trying to shape them in some way or stop them right. from getting too tall. But I've, things I've... like calistamins, you're always better off cutting behind the flower oh. after they've flowered. So, because that generates more flowers on new growth rather than having the old pods sitting there. And banksias are the same. So, it depends a bit on the native plant that you're looking at. But, yeah, Yeah. prune the wattles if you need to because they're getting too big or you want to create a particular shape, but you don't need to prune them. No, well, that's really good. And, Tanya, the last thing I want to ask, I, I was looking for someone to... Uh, you know, do pruning uh, and because uh, I don't know how to get anyone. I tried, and um, he wasn't good. Mm. And ask at your local nursery. Yeah, ask at the local nursery. You yep. say. 
Yeah, I'd Until be very cautious about employing people to prone, prune because there's so many cowboys out there. Yeah, I know, but that's why if your local nursery should have contacts with people who know what they're doing. Oh. So you want people who are gardeners. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So that, that now that's really excellent. Well, you, you've cheered cheered me up enormously, and and are the gardens all out of plum? I mean, the roses. Why are the next door roses? She's very good. And they're still they're flowering. And they're, yeah, no, mine have been doing the same thing. So yes, they are all out of plum. Mm. I think it's been a very mild winter. Yes, yeah. Oh. Mild winter. Where have you been? My there's body. also been severe frosts in some places. Yeah. Though. I, I I had to clean my windscreen of frost mm. in Fitzroy. I haven't done that for twenty years. Mm. You when know, I work outside all day every day, and I would say that we've had a couple of really cold days, but on the mm. whole, it's been really mild. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It just shows you, yeah, yeah. I think it's been freezing, but I've only been here for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm somewhat, somewhat with you. I've never had to have the, uh, my wood fire on because it's the only thing that warms yeah. our house. Yeah. I, I look anyway. at... Our really, our really clear skies have been creating really cold, cold nights, yeah, nights. Yeah. but the daytimes haven't. I We've don't had think some have been days as bad. Yeah, you know, we have had some cold days, but they've yeah. been sort of clear and and sunny, not cloudy mm-hmm. and wet so much. It's certainly down our yeah. way. Look, it's yeah. But I've I've got. But I agree. My roses are still covered in leaves. Yeah. Well, they I've got roses off. that are actually in bud. Yeah. Yeah, ones that haven't been pruned, and that, yeah. I mean, most of them I've pruned, but there's so many of the bastards mm. that you haven't so, quite got around. <laughs> haven't them all. quite got them all. <laughs> okay, so I've got the picture. I go out uh, with my pruning things, and uh, I say to the bushes, "Well, this is, has to be done today. I'm sorry if it's the wrong time." And here we go. Yeah, yeah. but mostly it's the right time. Yeah. So that's just do what it. you reassured me. You yeah. reassured. Thank you very, very much. Go, Sonia. pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And I've got a couple of questions or comments. Somebody has, um, somebody nameless has said, Lonicera fragrantissima in my garden. Doesn't look fabulous, but smells totally wonderful. So that, and somebody else has texted in, is there are actually native lobelias, which I did not know. Okay. So we'll mm-hmm. definitely do a do bit of a Lobelias person. Yeah, yes. we're going to find something about lobelias. And somebody else has texted in, and I, unfortunately the screen is black with white writing, which oh, is okay. so hard to read. So I'm not sure if I have a name for this person, but somebody has just been repotting all her pots and has found worms in her pots and is wondering if she should worry about that. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. My yeah, it's just because it's been wetter, mm. so that instead of having um, to escape the pot because it's dried out, it's been so moist that the worms are happy to be there. So well, what what worms do in your pot is that they break down the potting mix and they yep. make it really fine, and so that it gets soggy. Yeah, yeah, they're they're best not in your pots. Yeah, but I mean, seeing them occasionally is is fine, and and really all you need to do is add a bit of of coarser stuff on the top that'll gradually infiltrate down too. Yeah, I I wouldn't tolerate it. Okay, um, because right. I, I we have think the nurseryman. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, the 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 thing with potting mix is that the, the drainage is so fundamental, and the worms yeah. interfere True. with that. Yeah. Okay, I okay. will look at the them ground. differently. Yeah. So, yeah. and if you have worms in your pots. Gather them up very carefully and put them in your soil. 
Yeah. Because we get those huge scrubbies. I get those huge scrubby worms, you know, the big, really big ones yes. coming up into my pot sometimes. <laughs> it wreaks havoc. Yeah, yeah. okay. I, I like, I love those big worms. Yeah. I love all worms. Yes. Worms. As we all should. Yes. Well, if you don't have worms, I mean, when mm. I don't have worms in my garden, I worry. Mm. And it's, when I don't have them in my compost, I'm absolutely mm. devastated. So in the last three years, I've found a source of wood chip for long acres. So it has been going on thick and fast. And the increase in the worm population mm. is phenomenal. Yep. Unbelievable. And your fungi will be active too. Of course, Because, yeah, the, yeah. you know, you, the bark mulch, it's a much better for the fungi. That's, that's so right. important yeah, in, yeah. in soils. Yeah. Yes, of course, they love, they love rotting down mulch, don't they? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and, the, and I, I often use um, straw, pea yeah. straw, and they yeah. love pea straw. Yeah, and I, lo- I, use, I use my own created mulch from the garden, so everything from the garden, and I use lucerne hay, mm-hmm. are the two, two that I use. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I use the pea straw rather yeah. than the lucerne. Yeah, I- look, I think the pea straw and lucerne is, is good for your veggie garden, but not, not for the main garden. Yeah, too, yeah. No, I agree. It's too a, transient. Yeah. It, it's yeah. also it's it's transported. Yeah. Sometimes wrapped in plastic and transported. Yeah. Where, not, where not you can get I local find. mulch from your arborist. Yeah. Which is perfect for the garden. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's local. It's local. Yeah. yeah. It's, local. yeah. it's a it's a byproduct. Mm. Now apple pruning. Has anyone got an opinion on apple pruning? Um, I don't prune in winter. Yeah, I do. You prune in yeah. winter? Um, I do twice. So I'll do a, a light prune in the summer, towards, you know, mm. late summer, and then I'll do them again in winter. Mm. Okay. Yeah, of course, yeah, that's on the understanding that you, you're able to pick out a flowering spur. Yes, because you mustn't. Yeah. You have to know what the difference between a leaf bud and a flower bud. Mm. Really easy. Yeah. 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 Look, I, I, um, I, my apple trees are not very big. They're on dwarf fruit stock. Mm-hmm. Um, I give them a prune in summer. I go around and look for... Uh, after they've finished fruiting, so it might be autumn. Um, and in winter, I go around and look for any dead or crossed branches, mm. and I cut those out. But I don't prune apart from that. I do. I do. There's loads of them at Long Acres, so yeah. pruning apples is a major job. Okay. The, the two, two, one row of trees, I've, I've kept them pruned like an umbrella. Okay. So that they don't yeah. go up. They yep. spread out, yep. so they take anything up off. Mm. And then there's the the big walk of espaliered apples, which mm. is a major operation. Yes, mm. twice a year. Okay, a little little prune in summer, and then and then in the winter a big sort mm. out. Okay. Does Long Acres look? Is it one of those gardens that looks particularly good in winter? I love the winter garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't accept that there's nothing happening in the winter. This this garden's full of life. Mm. Yeah, all the birds are starting to nest yeah. at the moment too. Yes. Yeah. Which is lovely. I had the most exciting thing last year. Above my table, a weebill nested. Okay, wow. And I've never been. I've, I've suspected I've had them, but I haven't mm. known because they move so fast. Fast, yeah. And and I just have not been able to see. But because it was nesting straight above the table, I'd just sit there, and both of them would come in and they'd hover, so I could see them really clearly. Mm. In they'd go, then off they'd go. Mm. I was How so wonderful. thrilled. Yes. Because mm. when I moved into my garden, there were no small birds okay. at all. Yeah. And I've got so many now. Yeah, and they I have need to, the density, don't they? They, they need, need the thickets. density. Yeah. Yep. 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 They need thickets and they need, I mean, the salvias have just been yep. brilliant because they're, I've got a salvia in flower all year, all year yep. which means I've always got food for them. Yeah. Yep. And, the, and the salvias tend to provide quite a lot of the thickness. Yeah. You know. But yes. then you also need to provide 
um, food for seed eaters. So, you know, some of the grasses, the native grasses and those sort of things are really important too. Yes, absolutely. So because the salvias will feed the the um, nectar eaters and later some of them will collect seed from them. Well, I've got but, two paddocks mm. and I've banned horses. Okay. And I'm getting both kangaroo grass and wallaby grass in mm. my paddocks, which is fantastic. Great. I've well got done. roos, but I haven't yeah. got any cloven-hoofed okay. animals. And, and they're not cleaning out the kangaroo grass? Um, they don't seem to be. Okay, good. Because they've, uh, they've got quite a big range and they're a bit wary because mm. half of the time I have dogs and, they don't, okay. and one of the yeah. dogs particularly chases them, which okay. really worries me because one day the big one will yeah. just force the dog into the dam and not let it out and wait mm. till it drowns or just disembowel her. Right. Because the big one's big. Okay. He is serious. I ran into him in the, I mean, amongst the camellias one day and I just looked at him and started walking, walking backwards. backwards. Slowly. Very slowly. Yeah. Okay. Just coming back to Long Acres in winter, of course, we have a, a major deer issue there, so everything that is planted has to be unattractive to deer. Okay. So full of Daphne, which are obviously flowering now, full of Mahonia. Winter flowers, mm. so yeah, there's lots happening. Yes, Mahonia yeah. is beautiful at the moment. Yeah, isn't it? they're now Berberus, mm. but yeah, yeah, I haven't quite got my head around that. No, I'll keep calling them Mahonia yeah. till they decide to change them back. <laughs> um, and Halleborus, which I'm over, they're, they're they're getting purged. What you're going to pull them all out? Not all of them. Okay, but they're, they're everywhere. Okay, yeah, and 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 and, and Linda, they're a weed. Mm. Right. Now, I, I, I'm reluctant to sell them, and I, you know, th- there will be a time when they start spreading right through the uh, the forests. I think. Okay. So are the cultivars as weedy as the original species? If they set seed, they're okay. weedy. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless. I think, and yeah. I think what happens to the cultivars is they set seed back to the. Yeah. Absolutely, they do. They yeah. I mean, you don't get mm. beautiful new ones coming up. You get greeny. I mean, they're lovely, but you know, they're yeah. the ordinary greeny mm. flower. Mm. The, the cultivars, yeah, you get a percentage of them will be good ones, but the bulk will be just go back to yeah, purple mm. hellebores, mm-hmm. uh, helleborings. Helleborings. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, because people like me who, who to some extent struggle to grow them because of our soil and yeah. the, being close to the sea and all that sort of thing, there's no sign of them going weedy yeah. in my they, they wouldn't like the sea. No. They're mountain no. plants. Yeah. yeah. One of our producers has just sent in a message. Hello, Virginia and lovely team. My one-year-old lemon planted in the ground has new growth that is bright, bright red. Do I tip prune or just leave? Oh, leave it. Yeah. Red growth is normal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. New growth is often normal. You start to and think red. about pruning yeah. after five years. Yeah, sorry, new red growth yes. is absolutely normal on yeah. citrus. So don't worry about it. Yes, I agree. Mm. And I'm... That sounds fabulous as far as mm. I'm concerned. Just unfortunately keep an eye out for the the um, wasps. Uh, yeah, those those two. But um, there's also the um, the little grubs that burrow into the leaf miners, yeah. the citrus leaf miners. So you, it, with, if you've got really succulent early growth, just keep an eye out for those. And the first time you see them, just start Squ- squashing them squash with your them. fingers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I hope that helps, Burn. An apple tree in a tub has not been pruned for two years and looks like an upside-down overgrown mop. What do I do to get it into shape, John? Prune it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wants 
a bit of advice. Well, obviously he has to find out the difference between... Fruiting spurs and leaf spurs. The yeah. fruiting spurs, oh, it's difficult to describe, but they're like little spiders or mm. little insects, sort of spiky things. And then the leaf buds are just, just a normal leaf bud, just one. Yeah. Have, a, have a look on the internet. Yeah, look at and on, you, yeah, yeah, just... Just do a, get into a search engine yeah. and look, put that in and you'll see pictures of them and, yeah. And then the other thing is if it's looking like an overgrown mop, clearly you need to... Some structure. Yes, you thin, so thin some of the branches right back to the end because you want, you want air getting through that plant and you want to be able to see a shape. So some of them, whether it's got fruiting spurs or not, you just need to you take cut off. them off. Yeah, and they the, won't they won't grow again. So particularly branches that are heading down, or through the middle of the or tree. straight up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And make sure when you're pruning that you're getting a sense that the air can get through your plant. And and with trees and pots, I mean, it needs to be fed a lot. Yes, and it does need new soil. And, then new you, and you, you will need to take them out every now and again and c- cut off a third of the roots and repack them. Yeah, that, that, but not after done. two years. Not after two years. No. Yeah, but but certainly feed it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Frequently. And compost it and mulch the surface of the soil. Yeah. When is the best time to pick mandarin fruit? Do I leave it to get fully orange in colour? Um, the only way you can tell is to pick it and try eating it. Yeah. So um, pick the one that you think is closest to being ready and um, open it up and try eating it. And after a while, you'll get to know with your tree, you know, when they're, when they're ready. And that pretty much goes for, for all citrus. Because yeah. right. it's hard with some oranges because they're green and orange and, um, you know, you just you need to just try it. Right. Well, that sounds like an extremely good piece of advice. Mm-hmm. That sounds quite pleasant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, do you have another um, plant there for us? Epimediums, which are at this time of the year in the winter, fantastic. You know, a lot of people select out epimediums for flower. Mm. To me, ir- irrelevant because it's such a short flowering period, but the foliage is everything. Um, the one I'm holding in my hand is, is a form of Merianthem called Mottled Madness. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. So those colours on the leaves are uh, meant to be there. Okay. Really pronounced in the spring when the new foliage is coming yeah, up. Okay. They're heavily mottled. And then they go green over the summer and then in the winter they start developing these big red patches. Okay. But beautiful, long, elongated leaves with mm. recessed veining, I guess you'd mm. call it. Okay. It's, it's a very beautiful plant. Well, that next one... This one is um, Omiense, so it's another foliage plant. And it has red veins and a flush of red through the leaves and, again, long, narrow leaves. Um, it's one of the Chinese ones. The epimediums are shade plants and should be selected for foliage. Okay. Yeah, the flowering is brief and the most beautiful ones are the most difficult to grow. So anything that is young eanum or, or grandiflorum, Melbourne is not ideal for them. They like a lot of cool and a lot of moisture. Even in the Dandenong Ranges, it's not, they're not that good. Yeah. This is one of the epimediums from the, from the Balkans. That so is a, a stunning leaf. It, yeah. It's quite tough. And it is called 
It's a it's a hybrid from Wally Ants, Black Seas. It's called. Mm, okay. Yeah, beautiful foliage and big leaves, big round leaves, biggest I've seen in the genus. So can I just clarify something? Because as far as flowering goes, they need to be really cold. But as far as foliage goes, you can grow them over a much wider area. It's a matter of selecting the species. Okay. So so the young eanum and the, the grandiflorums are so this from is Japan epi- and epimedium, China. Yeah. young eanum yeah. and epimedium grandiflorum. And there are lots of hybrids from both of yeah. them. Okay. And they're, they're bred for flower, which is beautiful. But short. Short and, and not that spectacular here. You know, if you see them in Europe or North America, they're incredible. Yeah. just doesn't happen here. Meaning they don't flower as well here. They or don't we? flower as well. Right. And, and the first hot day, the foliage looks ratty, and which they then hold all summer. Mm. Yeah. So, it, look, it comes back to plants, to, to looking at the origin. Yes. And where, yeah. they, where they grow and are they going to grow here. Mm. There's another one here, um, cherry pie, which is a versicolor hybrid. Um, Versicolor is one of the Mediterranean epimedium, so it's tough. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, always. I mean, there's, for, me, for yeah. me, there's two things when I'm planting something. Where does it come from? Yep. Can it take north wind? Yeah. Yep. Then I say, does it want shade or sun? Mm. But it's yeah. not my first question. The, the versicolor, the most, well, the most common one is, is neosulfurum, which is a soft yellow. Okay. Uh, but this one, cherry pie, is, is pink, Ir- irrelevant to me. Mm. But the foliage in winter is beautiful. Okay. Burnished bronze. Yeah. I've got a couple of messages I'd like us to deal with. My six Mona lavender plants that are planted under deciduous trees have been burnt out by the recent frosts. Well, yes. Um, They have been in the ground for about five years. First time this has happened. Will they come good in spring? Should I give them a heavy prune in spring? That's for Charmaine in Absolutely don't prune until the last chance of frost is over because the dead branches will protect any new growth that's going to start to come. Um, whether they will survive or not uh, is hard to know. Um, I'd be surprised I'll, if they don't. Yeah, I think they probably will. Yeah. Is Mona lavender a lavender or is it a plectranthus? Yes, yeah. Yeah. no plectranthus likes hard cold. Yeah. They come yeah. from most of them yeah. either come from northern Australia or South Africa. You will yeah. tell if they're alive by the green in the trunk. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But definitely wait. I've got quite a few of my plectranthus are looking pretty sad this year yeah. because yeah. I've had. I mean, cold and wet. Minus four, one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Well, what I'd do is pile some mulch around them. Yes. You want to keep them wa- the, the base of the plant as warm as That's possible. That's right. Yeah. So, but. I'd be really surprised if they don't come back. I think they'll come back, but leave them. Yeah. yeah. Leave them until the last. We're I've, getting frosts earlier and later. Yeah. So, you know, make sure you're past the last chance of frost before you prune. Yes. And Temple Stowe will keep on frosting. Mm. And. I have lost things by pruning them too early, mm. so just mm. don't do it. And then Priscilla asks when her tim- Timboon salvia should be pruned. Basically, you can prune your salvia any time you like. My Timboons just, or my three Timboons, are just coming into flower, mm. so obviously I wouldn't prune them now. I tend to prune them through summer because I've got so many big salvias that I can't keep up. 
Mm. So I'm fairly indiscriminate and none of them have suffered from it. My view of salvias is that you don't prune them during dormancy. Yes. So so you don't prune the, the spring or summer flowering ones in the winter. You just prune them in the spring when you see them starting to grow. And I, and I never prune in – well, some of them I do. But mo- if I'm not sure what I'm doing, I don't prune below active growth. Oh, yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, but the, the, the Tim Boone, I mean, it's about to flower, isn't it? So yeah, mine's, mine's in flower now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but I usually prune mine because I need to clear it out um, in late spring. Yeah, that's right. So after the birds have loved it for yes. several months, yes. I then prune it because I, I need to be, get up and down the path that mm. it's grown over. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. triffid, isn't it? Yes, it is. So there's no harm in pruning it straight after flowering? No. No. And and I think when you don't know a plant well, it's always the advice. After flowering. Yeah. 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 Prune straight after flowering. Yeah. Yeah. The main thing is that you do it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Yes, and I have been known to forget. I, there's, I've got three salvias which I haven't pruned for two years and they mm. must be 20 foot high. Yeah. yeah. They can, some of them can get really, really big. That's yeah. the involucrata yeah. hybrids. Of, mm. yeah. yeah. And they're yeah. beautiful. Mm. But, mm. you know, every now and again a big wind comes through and great pieces of it just snap off. Can I just um, add that now at this time of year is also the time of year that you can be planting potato onions, shallots, um, and the, you know the the bulbing the tree onions. So some what's of those. A, what's a potato onion? Potato onion is an um, onion that grows um, under the soil like a potato. So they're perennial onions that oh, how that, nice. that um, bunch and bulb like shallots do. And tree onions are the onions that grow with a really nice big bulb at the ground level, but they also produce bulbils in the and they the bulbils then start growing so it looks a bit like a tree and then they fall over onto the ground and put roots down if you don't do anything with them. So they're also called walking onions because they, they walk across your Okay, yeah. So from, from quite a few different seed suppliers um, at this time of year, you will find them selling potato onions, um, shallots and tree onions. So they're well worth having a go at for onion flavours all year round. Potato onions have a good flavour? They do, okay. yes. Yeah. So they yeah. taste like onions, yeah. um, but they're, yeah, they just grow underground, which is why they're called potato yep. onions. Yeah, And you can get white and brown and red forms. Right. They sound excellent. I mm. think yeah. I should do that. Because mm. hopefully... Rats ra- wouldn't like onions, would they? I don't think rats they? will like onions, no. No, I don't know. They've never eaten onions in my garden or oniony plants. They, they haven't The leeks and the garden. garlic and mm. everything is fine. Mm. So, yeah, probably okay. But I think rats will eat anything in extremis. Mm. Um, but, yeah. They ate my Brussels sprouts. Mm. Oh, they'd love them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. They leave the Jerusalem artichoke along. Okay, good. But they love beetroot. Yeah, and they love. You've got to be careful with rats when you're planting bean seeds and pea seeds to mm. pr- stop anything from digging around them. So yeah. I always put screen over when I plant big seeds. Mm. That they love beetroot would be a given, wouldn't it? I mean, yes, because mm. it's so sugary. Everything loves mm. beetroot. <laughs> My friend Helen hates it. <laughs> yes, but it depends on the beetroot. You see, there are some really nice beetroots that don't have the same sort of earthy, earthy flavour. Mm. There's some really good beetroots around. Mm, yeah, but the earthy flavour, yeah. Yeah, I know. I love it. But yeah. um, Transition Farm has a really nice golden beetroot, which I've temporarily forgotten the name of. Um, but it is fabulous, yes. and it's actually bred to not have that earthy flavour. 
like you're saying. all the goodness out of them. Yeah, well, <laughs> roasted. You know, people have different tastes. They do. Yeah, roasted beetroot. I adore oh, it. Fabulous. And when yes. I first lived in London, which is the very early 80s, I was the only white person who'd um, queue up to buy pumpkin in the market. Okay, yep. Because the Brits just wouldn't eat pumpkin. Okay. They do now. Horse food. Yeah. No, no. Or pig, pig. food. Yeah. Pig food. Pig. Yeah. Mm. Which was yeah. extraordinary. Pumpkins, yeah. my, one of my favourite foods. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. As long as they're good, there's a, yeah, there's pumpkins and there's pumpkins, mm. isn't there? Yeah. Well, the rats love pumpkins. There's absolutely no So, doubt can about I just that. say very quickly that now's the time to feed your garlic? Because it's just starting. We've just gone past the shortest day and it's just starting to put on good growth. So, feed your garlic. Yeah. Feed everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. But you, you, you always say, because I don't feed. And Craig's always telling me I yeah. don't feed enough. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah, I'm a bit like you. I don't do a lot of feeding. Um, but I do, I'm constantly putting stuff back on the soil. So. Yeah, but the, I do both. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the fertiliser goes under the mulch. Mm. Yeah. Yes, and, yeah. and you do mulch extensively. I do. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And I, I intend to, but somehow. <laughs> Sometimes you just run out of time. And I don't throw wood away, so it's all lying around the garden. Yes, mine too. And and full of fungal spores. Yeah, and providing habitat for all sorts of small bugs and lizards and birds and all sorts of stuff. Well, unfortunately, I've had another large piece of gum come down, took out a 15-foot ceanothus completely, Mm. took out out half of a 20-foot grevillea and exposed all my, um, my, oh, what am I trying to say? Um, The things, Clive of India. Clivius. Clivius. Yes. Yes. You always view these things as an opportunity, Virginia. Absolutely. And and be very relieved that you weren't gardening in that spot at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. Well, I think we'll have to say goodbye now. It's time for us to go. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And I very, very much hope that you come back next week for some more. Thank you. (laughs) 